to the Gateway, your compass through the uncharted waters of the mystical and spirit communication broadcast live from United Public Radio Network 107.7 in New Orleans. I'm your host, C.L. Thomas. Um, I'm having one of those nights. My computer died just before logging on to do the show tonight. Like literally, I got the blue screen of death on my laptop that I usually use for this program. So I'm using a little bit of a ba different background and... It is what it is, right? We keep going. Tonight, we change the topic from our usual mysticism and spirit talk to talk about Dracula, the man behind the inspiration of what would become vampire goth Bram Stoker. Historian and author Neil Story joins me to discuss his new book, Bram Stoker, the author of Dracula, an illustrated biography. Neil, welcome to the show. CL, lovely to see you. Good evening. You've written over 50 books, haven't you? Well, well, I have. It keeps me out of mischief. I have been very fortunate to spend most of my life as a historian. And uh, I've had the chance to write books about things that have fascinated me and interested me. And the one theme that has been throughout all of those years has, has been old Dracula uh, and, and an interest in the man who created him. Neil, it is so lovely to get to talk to you again. You're one of my favorite historians. Oh, thank you. Um, to see you too. You're just such a lovely person. And I know it's like 2 a.m. in the morning right now where you are. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. But what inspired you to write about Bram Stoker? It was really from my early life. When walking to school, I walked past a cinema and there were posters up there for Hammer Films. It was a provincial cinema, so they weren't the latest releases. And the Hammer Films were things like Taste the Blood of Dracula. And the, the, the images were very strong. The artwork in, in those days on film posters displayed in glass cases was very striking. Uh, Christopher Lee's face was very prominent. There was blood, there was snarling, there was fangs. And as a kid, I found that quite frightening. So it's, I couldn't have gone to see the films, even if I dared to, because they were X certificate in the UK. You had to be 18 or over. But I could go to a little newsagent and buy bubblegum cards called Shocking Laughs. And on those Shocking Laughs cards were lurid images of the Dracula films, Dracula AD 1972, uh, and, and some of the other ones, but mostly 72, and they were full colour, they had rubbish jokes on them, and the pictures scared me so much, I had, rather than sort of swapping them in the playground, I gave them to my mum, because they were giving me nightmares, and so that old face of Dracula haunted me from a very, very early age, and when I got to maturity and I started reading the, the book for real, and I wanted to know, who is the man? Who created this character who has terrified me so much <laughs> for as long as I can remember? Is it fair to say that Bram Stoker is kind of the godfather of kind of what the gothic scene that we have today with literature and kind of pop culture, I guess? Well, if you go to many universities in the UK, if you look at gothic horror, they will go right back to Mary Shelley and Frankenstein. 
But in some ways, that was the birth of science fiction, in, you know, if you see what I mean. Right, yeah. yes. Using science to create a monster. Throughout the 19th century, there were others who wrote about vampires. But Bram, in 1897, so this is right the end of the 19th century, when he produced Dracula, he really struck a chord. It, it really did contrast the modern world with a far more ancient culture, a, di a distant culture. Uh, and it included modern things like typewriters and phonographs, recording systems, women being quite strong characters. And so if we just had the previous literature, I don't think it would have stood up so well because they, they seem to be rather vain vampires, they're, they're smelly, they're rather cowardly, or we only catch glimpses of them, their persona, uh, where they lived or existed. They, they are just creatures of the night. Bram brought the vampire really alive for a modern audience. And yes, I think we would not have the Anne Rice wonderful... <laughs> Uh, or, or any anything, even we used to have a cartoon over here, Count Duckula, anything with fangs and a cape, dark swept back hair, uh, that's Dracula. And I, I think, you know, be, because it was such, an Im, it's such a great impact, along with a little hint of Frank, Frankenstein, and then you had um, reanimated mummies as well, and Jewel of the Seven Stars was a book by... Bram Stoker, one of the first to contain a reanimated mummy. So all, we must always give credit to Mary Shelley for this gothic, uh, the, 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 the genesis of 19th century gothic. But I think at the end, Bram really brought the genre right back up. And it was his book that truly established something that many years after his death would be reanimated would be un made undead and become the the vampire genre of films and books that we know today. I think a lot of people don't realize just how much romantic literature influences today's modern paranormal world, such as um, Mary Shelley, um, the book Withering Heights. I forget who wrote that one. Um, it goes on and on, though. Even Charles Dickens, his story with um, what is Christmas the name of that Carol. story? Yeah, yes. Yeah. That's right. And they, that was quite a moral tale using ghosts and spirits. But you see, the 19th century literature, people like Wilkie Collins, and you had the woman in white, he, he created a, a type of literature where they used different um, diaries, uh, letters, and different people to tell to form that narrative. Bram loved that. So he's encapsulated the latest writing techniques in his book. And I think a lot of, I mean, if you've heard of Rudyard Kipling, Rudyard Kipling produced a poem called The Vampire. And that was often displayed with a, a, a picture uh, by Byrne Jones. And Byrne Jones uh, created this picture called, it was called The Vampire. And it's quite, quite a romantic vision in style but it shows a, a man on the bed absolutely zonked out he doesn't look like he's in terror he looks like he's very happy you know has he been drinking 
But then sat on top of him is a woman in her, in her nightdress with a very smug smile on her face. She's believed to have been modelled by Mrs. Patrick Campbell, known as Mrs. Pat. And uh, she was in some, um, not raunchy, but, but very um, sultry roles in her day. Uh, quite strong women, women who had a, a sensuality, not just a sexuality. Uh, so the idea of the vampire was something se sensual and sexual was something that was known to the, even the pre-Raphaelites, you know. They, 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 you can see those kind of winsome women in, in long flowing dresses. These are all themes that run through gothic horror. Yeah, it, it, and it manifests again with things like the film Twins of Evil that was visited in the 1970s with Hammer Films. Well, how do you get from, I have to ask this question, and it may be, it might take the entire hour, but how do you get Bram Stoker's um, Dracula to the modern-day blood-sucking vampire? Well, I, I think because Dracula is immortal, I think he he could ease, he easily moves with the times. Uh, he's abs he, he it's integral to the vampire story, and I'm sure that there will always be uh, variations of, of Dracula, uh, with UK, US, and all around the world. Various production companies look to retell the tale, or they try and find the origins tales, prequels. Oh, I have absolutely no doubt that it will be revisited. In I mean, then we had in 1972, Dracula AD 1972. There's elements of that film that are very dated now. Other parts of it, they are they are immortal, and I'm sure that there will be other stories uh, <laughs> where the vampire comes to the modern world. <laughs> people won't quite know what to do with him because the old ways have been forgotten. So in archaeological digs that they've done, um, they've come across some interesting burials in which they th people believed these people were some sort of vampire, right? Absolutely right. Kind of things? The belief in the vampire is centuries old. And interestingly, in, in Ireland, actually, they've recently had some digs where they've uncovered uh, skeletal remains that have been buried without what I'd call due custom in that uh, they're not laid out properly, they are facing odd directions, or they're quite cramped up and, and, and curled up. But the thing that gives this away, that there's, there's some sort of uh, belief that they could bite, they, that maybe the culture thought that they would be blood suckers, to stop it biting, they ram stones into the into the mouths of the dead, sometimes even so hard that they dislocate the jaw or would rupture the facial structure somehow. And that's how these skeletons have been found. And they are centuries old. It's very interesting. It, it so, is very intriguing. <laughs> your book, it's, it's very well written and it goes really into a lot of detail on Bram Stoker. Um, I don't want to give too much away about the book, but mm. how did Bram Stoker's background and his personal experiences influence the creation of this iconic Count Dracula? It's the perfect question. 
because I think the whole of his life uh, was a journey towards Dracula. This was to be his magnum opus. As a young boy, Bram Stoker was born in 1847 in, in Ireland uh, in a, a house... It was called the Crescent, a house on the Crescent in in uh, Clontarf, which is a suburb of Dublin, not far from the sea. He had his father was a civil servant. Uh, they were they were pretty they weren't extremely wealthy, just a, a well-to-do family, and they had, they eventually had quite a lot of kids. Uh, young Bram was not a well little boy. He was unable to walk until he was seven years old and in his reminiscences he wrote of how his mother would recall every time the nursery bell rang she would rush there thinking that the nurse was calling her because Bram was dying so this poor little boy who never never wrote of being un desperately unhappy he was clearly in, in, a, in a loved household a, a quite a um a, a christian household that you know it went to church said their prayers before meals and he would often be placed in the garden to get fresh air amongst amongst pillows and he'd look amongst the grass and see the creatures crawling around and that would feed his imagination but as he grew up he grew strong very strong and as, as before before I get that far, when he was also in bed, you could imagine that he was told all sorts of folk tales. The the folk telling folktale tradition was very, very strong in his family, including a tale that we know was told to him of the Sligo cholera epidemic. Now, when his mother was a was a girl, she was in Sligo at the time of the epidemic, and he she saw people being put into a building. One of the public buildings there, it seemed that the, the doctors, the nurses had gone, you know, that you only had people left that were either apparently immune, uh, but not very well medically trained. And they saw this fellow being carried out, who's known as Long Sergeant Callum. And the family story is that Long Sergeant Callum was carried out of the the, the pest house of, of Sligo and his head as they were carrying him out, banged on each of the steps. It knocked him out of unconsciousness, brought him round. And he uh, he went on to live for many a year afterwards. So that's really an idea of a, a man being brought to life from, from apparently being dead. And that's one of the stories that kind of stuck in his mind. Uh, there, there was all sorts of Irish folk tales about uh, blood eaters and, and creatures of the night and banshees and, and werewolves and... So that's that's from a very very early age he's hearing these dark tales and as a young man a strong man a good sporting man when he starts writing he starts writing for you know part works and, and, and magazines and things in Ireland one was called the Shamrock and he wrote a, a story called the Chain of Destiny and it's all about it's a haunted house and there's hags on the bed and you can see all of that and he was always very much taken with darker tales. So when he meets, he becomes a theatre critic, uh, part-time. He's a civil servant full-time, uh, really, because he didn't like the reviews that were being written in the in the Dublin press. And so Bram said, look, I'll, I'll be a theatre critic as long as you give me tickets, you know, for free. And I'll write you up. So he did. And, and that's how he met a young up-and-coming up, up, up and coming actor by the name of Henry Irving. 
and Irving soared eventually and became the first actor to obtain a knighthood. He, was, he really gave the acting craft uh, a, a respectability that it hadn't had really before that, before him. Uh, so Bram saw him at this in the early stages. He wrote fantastic reviews for him. Irving, of course, lapped up the, the praise. The two became friends. And so when Irving takes over the Lyceum Theatre in the West End of London, one of the great old theatres, great columns and a portico on the top, beautiful building, uh, he needed an acting manager. And he, he asked his friend, Bram Stoker, to come and join him as acting manager of the Lyceum. Bram initially, and I think always partly, uh, idolised Sir Henry. Um, in later years, he in Irving always saw Bram at his absolute beck and call. And I think Bram kind of liked that. They worked well. The, the synergy was certainly there. And Bram was not unique in that respect. There were others. Irving seemed to have that magic over people who worked with him. So Bram, as this acting manager in this great theatre, wanted to write a story that could turn into a play that was worthy of Sir Henry Irving. And so that's really how he came to want to write the story and all of those themes that he'd seen and heard of and plays like Faust. You imagine this, where you see hell depicted and witches and creatures of the night. That's a great inspiration. The, the, the Lyceum Theatre was seen, they used to call it the palace. It was the best theatre for serious drama in London in the 19th century. Uh, so, yeah, that's the initial inspiration. And it was his, Bram's sincere wish to write something worthy of his master, the chief. And he seems he did, didn't he? Well, it, he did. He did. Um, it's interesting. They had to perform uh, Dracula uh, before, uh, for copyright reasons, on the stage of the Lyceum. And people say, well, not many people went. Well, they didn't want many people to go. Uh, the, the fee was excessive. It was a guinea. Uh, but they had to perform it. It was done more or less as a reading. And uh, it, was it was during the daytime as well. It was a, a daytime performance. No, it, no way was that going to pack out. But Sir Henry did come to see it. And all that is recorded of Irving's comment, because Bram was clearly saying, well, what did you think? And Irving simply replied, dreadful. <laughs> so one wonders, was it really bad or was it dreadful because it was so scary? That's interesting, too, because Dracula is the metaphor for various societal fears at the time. Absolutely. According to literature critics, anyway. I absolutely agree. Um, Bram tapped into a lot a lot of dark themes. Um, sadly, there were... They were concerns at that time because a lot of people were fleeing from uh, Poland to Great Britain uh, there were there was quite a foreign community in, in London and people from Central Europe as well and they're declivitated to the East End and there were fears that the, the so for example when the Jack the Ripper crime started hitting the street the word was oh well that here's the here's here's the rub it's going to be a Polish Jew. So that was the accusation. Mm -hmm. So you, you go for the target. 
So Bram is tapping into some of that xenophobia, uh, the fear of the unknown. He's also tapping into themes of uh, progress, but the idea of progress being so fast that old beliefs are thrown out, you know, uh, and, and discarded when actually you might be throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So he's looked at those themes. He's looked, he's, he lived through the time of the Jack the Ripper scares. And we know that he was in London at the time. Uh, the play Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was on the Lyceum stage at that time. Richard Mansfield, the, the actor in the, in the role, doing a magnificent job. In fact, a job so good that some people believe that his performance was influencing the killer, Jack the Ripper. Mm. The Lyceum Company were also on tour, so Bram was able to look in to the maelstrom of London from the perspective of outside. And, and he could see that people, wherever they went, were afraid at night that the Ripper could come to their town. So this idea of a contagion of fear was certainly alive for Bram. He lived through that and drew on that contagion of fear for his story. So he's got there were a host of themes, uh, cultural themes of the 19th century, uh, themes of travel. Uh, Dra Bram actually wrote one of the very first travel logs for modern America. A lot of people don't realize that from his tours of the country. He loved, he loved the States. So he's talking about travel. Uh, it's, it's a, it, Dracula is a story of continents. It's a, it's a love story. It's a, a horror story, a gothic horror story. It, uh, modern, the idea of modern travel, the ancient, the modern. It, it's, a, it's a story for everybody. For his, for his travels, what inspired him to choose Eastern European folklore and mythology for the basis of Count Dracula? Because he incorporates so much of Transylvanian folklore into yeah, that's, it. But he never really set foot in there at all. That's absolutely right. He never, ever did. Bram was a great researcher. And he used to, he had his own superb collection of books. He used to love going to libraries, to the, li the London Library and to the British Museum. In fact, the London Library have recently found some of the books he was known to have used and referred to for Dracula, and he's got naughty pencil annotations. They recognize his handwriting in the books. So he, he was a great one for getting good research together. I think there's a kind of prequel to Dracula called Dracula's Guest, and it's supposedly a manuscript that was found after Bram Stoker's death. Now, the setting for that is Styria. Now, Styria is the other side of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. It's far closer uh, to uh, places like France and Great Britain. And I think he wrote that story because he admired uh, another vampire story by his uh, Trinity College Dublin alumni member, uh, Sheridan Lefanu. Uh, it's Camilla. Uh, through a glass darkly and, and, and Camilla was a she she was you could read it as that she is a lesbian vampire and she predates Dracula Bram certainly loved the story and he when he wrote Dracula's guest set it in Styria the themes in the book are very very similar to Sheridan Lefano's and I think when Bram gave it to his publisher 
I think the publisher probably said, hey, Bram, this is a little too close to Lefanu's book. You're going to have to make some changes. So Bram would have looked on the map of the Austro-Hungarian Empire and gone to the far-flung corner of it. So far-flung that on some maps, and this is, a, this is a, something I learned when I was researching this, the map of Transylvania, that section of the country, goes over the neat line of the map. So if you think of a map, but it's got that straight line at the end, and you'll sometimes see a map, a country or a part of the country bleed over the edge. That's over the neat line. And it always looks a little bit irregular. And I bet you that's what drew him. And, the, and Bram could see Carpathian Mountains. He could see the Borgo Passes. And he could see that there's railway that goes there. So he's got his maps. He's got that. Right, here's the new place. Bram wrote for a magazine called the 19th century now that's a pretty good review magazine lots of articles quite educated ones and in there was an article called transylvanian superstitions which includes how mm. to ward off vampires and keep away the creatures of the night the nosferatu and it was but it was the article was written by e gerard now if you read that article you, you wouldn't necessarily clock that this is a woman and her name was Emily Gerard and she was uh, the, the wife of a diplomat and she was in Transylvania uh, with while her husband was there on diplomatic duty and she was the one that went and uh, investigated the folklore and talked to locals and delved into local archives she's very very good so I love the fact that uh, Lefano's uh, female vampire inspired Dracula and a woman Emily Gerard's uh, Transylvanian superstitions gave Bram the kind of meat on the bones of the, the, the traditions and superstitions of the vampire uh, it, it's a darn good start and women are behind the Dracula story I like that thought so what is the connection between and by the way that image behind me is actually um, from Singasora, where Vlad the Impaler was born. Oh. Um, where where does that connection begin between Vlad the Impaler and Dracul and Dracula? Well, the the root of that story, I think, comes from a book by McNally and Florescu that was produced. I think that was in the seventies. In the nineteen seventies, we didn't have. Uh, access to the notes of Dracula, certainly not widely accessible, and the manuscripts and the amount of letters that, that I uncovered in the whole Kane archive on the Isle of Man. Uh, we simply didn't have all of those uh, to enhance and inform our knowledge of, Dra of Bram and how he created Dracula. So McNally and Florescu look, looked at the stories that might have inspired this character and the story of Dracula. You know, did did Bram know all of this background? But for Bram, the truth is is far more prosaic. Bram was on holiday in Whitby. He had seen and heard about the the wreck of the Demeter, um, which he he that becomes the uh, it was the Demetri, the Demeter in the book. It's a wreck on Whitby Beach. Bram's on holidays. Whitby is in Yorkshire in, in, in England. And uh, I dare say he popped into the library to find out a little bit more about the places that this 
uh, boat may have come from. And he picks up a volume, it's Wilkinson's Guide to Wallachia and Transylvania. And we know this because we've got the notes of Dracula. They exist. And he's even put the reference for the book where he, and where he found it in Whitby. And he just annotates a little bit. And it's very short. It, it's quite clear that he's found a name. He's found the name Dracula. And that absolutely it game changes for Bram. Allow me to just put that into some context. When Bram met Arminius Vanbury, who was uh, who is acknowledged in in the Dracula book, uh, our friend Arminius. He was uh, a lecturer at Budapest University, and Dr. Van Helsing refers to our friend Arminius, and he was certainly a factotum on on folklore and legend. And the pair met over dinner uh, at one of the gatherings in the Lyceum. We don't know the exact content of their conversation, but clearly there, there's some notion of vampires and then the vampire legend being told there. Bram liked the idea of, of having a book. It, it, it's called The Undead. Uh, that's the original idea. And then he adds in Count Vampire. <laughs> and, but it's spelt W-A-M-P-Y-R-E. Count Wat And for the general public, Bram loved language. But for the general public, they would be saying, Count Wampire and the Undead. What sort of a title of that is? You know, that would have sunk like a like a lead balloon. And I think maybe Bram knew that. Count Wampire and the Undead. So he just he's working title. He gets to Whitby and he discovers this name. And it and in the book where he discovered it, you can tell he likes Dracula and he notes the 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 people of Transylvania, uh, the name the name Dracula means or Dracul it means demon or devil. If you read on a little bit, it mentions Dracula is a mercenary, but not a desperately good one, uh, according to Wilkinson. It really it, there is in none there were no notes no mention in the notes of Bram Stoker for Dracula of Vlad Tepesh. Um, there, there's just not Vlad the Impaler. Nope. Not even that famous woodcut that's often produced in, in vampire books uh, of the big mustachioed Vlad uh, <laughs> yeah. Tepe. No, sorry, folks. Uh, it just, it, it, Bram's imagination is pretty darn good. Uh, he liked the name. And in fact, if you think about it, you'd never heard that name before. The world had really never heard it before. He's an obscure, according to Wilkinson's guide. He's an obscure mercenary, you know, in Transylvanian history. That's what Bram saw, not this great count of Impaler and all this kind of stuff. That's all he saw. But he liked the name and it worked. And if you roll it around your mouth, and I'm not the only author to pick up on this, you know, it feels great. Dracula. <laughs> we like that. So think about it. Bram, when he has, when he staged the play uh, at the Lyceum, it was called Dracula. Or the undead. Okay. By the time it comes to the actual publication of the book, he's got rid of the undead. The working title that's gone. Count Wampir. Whoa, long gone. And what have you got? Just Dracula. Now that's a gamble, because the world doesn't know 
who or what Dracula is. That's all it is. It's one name. It's a yellow book. And in red is the name Dracula. It was a gamble, but one that paid off in the long run. The castle that um, is he uses, Bram Castle in Transylvania, how did that, interestingly enough, um, Vlad Tepe's never even stepped foot in the in Bram Castle. Mm. That's another thing that a lot of people don't know. Um, and neither did Bram Stoker, but yet Dracula is so associated with this castle. How did that not, come to be? Not by Bram Stoker. Uh, this is, I mean, I, I believe in tourism is important for every single country. And it just seems that Bran has assumed the connection. It's certainly, you know, it's assumed the connection with Dracula, the book, and it doesn't really. Um, Bram created Castle Dracula. You can see the origins of it from his first ever fiction book, uh, Under the Sunset. Um, there's the, an illustration in there, the castle of the king, and you can see there's a skeletal face in, in, in the drawing. It's very good and tall towers and all sorts. You could imagine, wow, Castle Dracula, that's a great start. Then he stayed when Bram stayed in Edinburgh, Edinburgh Castle. Uh, when that certainly had an impact on him when he was creating the rambling castle Dracula but the main inspiration for the for the castle we know this because Bram went to visit it on a number of occasions was the home of the Duke of Errol and this was Slane's castle on the coast of Scotland uh, sadly now a ruin but Bram knew this as as a home he, he stayed there on a number of occasions and even in Dracula, the book, they mention an octagonal room, which has no no window, but and there has to be a light all, all the time in there to keep it bright, bright enough. But And if you go to the ruin and you stand pretty much in the middle of it and you look up and you will see the walls of the octagonal room, it's, it's, it's still there. Uh, but Slane's castle is a great influence and Bram's, uh, for his first visit there, this is in a place called Port Errol. Uh, that's how Bram would have known it. it in later years, nowadays, it's called Cruden Bay. And he used to stay at the Kilmarnock Arms and even wrote some of Dracula there. So Scotland plays a, a great part in, in the inspiration for the Dracula story. That's interesting. What about the historical and, and the geographical accuracy with Transylvania. I've been through there and traced the steps of um, Vlad the Impaler from where he was born all the way up through Corvin Castle. Um, Bram Stoker's descriptions of Transylvania are just spot on. Oh, for, yeah. Including like how dark it is, how foggy it is all the time there, just everything about it. He absolutely nails it. And, and that's because even though he didn't go himself, he spoke to people who had visited Transylvania and knew it well. And he knew some of the greatest explorers of the day through who they would come as guests to see performances at the Lyceum. But then they would go to the beefsteak room. Now, the old beefsteak club in London used to have meat in a room, which was part of the Lyceum Theatre. That had been long gone. They always called it the beefsteak room. And Bram cleared it out and set it all up. So rather than having a few sandwiches on the stage, 
they could actually have some intimate meals and I, I, it was knuckle-bitingly expensive for the theatre profits, I can assure you, but they would host these great, very intimate uh, dinners uh, and they would have people like Richard Burton. Now, that's not Richard Burton, the actor, Richard Burton, the explorer and orientalist. Now, Richard Burton had written a book called Vikram and the Vampire, uh, which is a Hindu story of a vampire, a shapeshifter. Uh, and he knew, Bram knew Burton. Burton is one of the inspirations for Dracula, the character of Dracula himself. Uh, if you look at pictures of Burton, my goodness, Bram described him as steely, and he was. Henry Morton Stanley, if you've ever heard of um, Dr. Livingstone, I presume, the man that went to find Livingstone when he was lost, was Morton Stanley. And in the first ever um, paperback version, illustrated version of Dracula, um, the the creature climbing down the wall is clearly uh, a clear. It's clearly influenced by uh, the the features of, of Morton Stanley with his big white moustache and white hair, uh, and Alfred Lord Tennyson, who was known to if he had a tricky problem would show a canine tooth. So these. These wonderful explorers were known to Bram. They would have, Bram would have talked to them about, and of course, Vanbury as well. And and the books that he read would give him that those personal observations of the place that really bring it alive. And then to get the travel log of it correct, uh, he used uh, a, a Baedeker's guide. Uh, for the area, uh, southern Germany and Transylvania, uh, and I actually own it. I own Bram Stoker's own copy of the really? Baedeker guide that he used. Uh, oh. I was very, very lucky to pick that up. And the description of how Jonathan Harker uh, gets uh, across country and to where he needs to, to be in, 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 in Transylvania uh, the journey is, is, it is, you can absolutely see where Bram has got it from. You can almost feel his finger on the page as he's writing and typing it up. Why do you think he's, he never actually traveled to Transylvania himself? Bram was at the beck and call of Sir Henry Irving. And although he wrote that wonderful travel log of America, it was, he, he was there because he was organising the American tour of the Lyceum Theatre Company. Wherever he went, if it was travel, really, it was, it was for Irving. He did go to the Isle of Man to see his friend uh, Hall Kane. He, he's known to have travelled to France. This is interesting. But, uh, as a young man, he, he went to France. He knew some of the actors and actresses over there. He became quite intimate with one of the actresses as well uh, over in France. She wanted him to go over there, but his father said, this would be no life for you, Bram Stoker, uh, marrying an, act an actress in France. So he didn't travel very widely. Uh, France, Isle of Man, Scotland were his adventures. Bram loved walking holidays. Uh Loved Whitby, loved the British, and you know, international travel beyond business or exploring. Um, what wasn't overly common, and to make that journey personally to Transylvania, uh, I, I, th I think he would have loved to have gone, but I and maybe he meant to go, but 
life and time um he never he he just didn't get around to it there's a there there's a few things that i've heard that may um i just want to get your thoughts on this Mm. they might be silly questions i'm not sure though so there is a rumor that stoker has the same birthday as vlad um the impeller is that true i don't know (laughs) i don't know he might do that would be a wonderful coincidence bam would have loved that he wouldn't have known that (laughs) (laughs) do you think that um bram stoker was connected in some way to vlad either ancestral or or somehow spiritually or anything like that bram's ancestors going back hundreds of years and i've traced his family tree were originally not from ireland uh his father's line uh go back to northumberland and durham which is where i'm speaking to you from right now uh i don't think there's any uh connection uh, I, I believe the stoker family have had their uh dna uh, uh examined and and, and and tested i i don't know all of the ins and outs of that but i i I, I'm sure uh, my good friend and my respected uh, fan of the great man, the Graham's gr- great nephew, great grandnephew, uh, Dacre Stoker would have said if if there was a family connection to the real Dracul, um, again, Bram would have loved it. Uh, spiritually, I don't think he knew a lot about him. If we're really, really, really honest about it, I don't think he knew a lot about Vlad Tepes or Vlad the Impaler or, or Dracul. It was, it was really just a name that that fitted uh, the character, the imagined character based on people that he knew and things that he had read, rather than borrowing anything of the real backstory of 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 Dracula. So here we are in modern ages where we have. Dracula's castle, we have all of this different stuff going on. What do you think Bram's ideas about his book in a way it influenced today's pulp culture and paranormal trends? What do you think his thoughts would be on this? <laughs> From back then to now. I, I think he would have glowed <laughs> with that thought. When Bram died, and he died in April 1912. And it, his death was overshadowed by the sinking of the Titanic. There were some lovely obituaries written for him and, and in tribute to him. And his greatest literary legacy, the, the critics of the day and his friends of the day, considered that it was his two-volumed biography of, of, of um, Sir Henry Irving. Uh, Dracula was just another one of those stories, uh, a weird tale. Uh, but Bram, Bram's long-term legacy, <clears throat> not just Dracula, but the Jewel of the Seven Stars, the reanimated mummy, some of his other dark tales, and they're worth reading, look them out, including The Lair of the White Worm, are an incredible canon of work. 
that in his own lifetime, Bram, they were, they were not failures. And in fact, Dracula has never been out of publication, never been out of print since it was first published in 1897. And whereas many of the authors, uh, including his dear friend Hall Caine, the first man to sell a million books in the English language, most people don't even know who Hall Caine was, let alone own a Hall Caine book. The books don't stand up for modern audiences, and they're certainly not uh, a Shakespearean literature. Whereas Bram has never gone away. His character is truly, uh, Dracula is immortal. And for Bram to see all of those things, I, I, don't, I don't think he, it, the money would have been nice. I, I wished he, because his family, you know, they're not, they never enjoyed a great deal of wealth from that. They got some, but it was meant to be the one that, and it should have been the one that kind of provided a legacy for future generations, the direct line of Bram Stoker. But deep <laughs> down, would he have really cared? He wasn't about the money for Bram. It was about the storytelling. And I think to, for him to see that, uh, it would be overwhelming for him. I think he would he would be filled with pride. Uh, and I, I just wish, I hope, uh, and in fact, I believe there is a spirit world and we can't all go into nothing. <laughs> uh, I like to think he, he sees and he rather likes it. <laughs> so what are your personal thoughts about the vampire gothic movement where we have a lot of people who believe that they really are vampires, either psychic or drinking mm. of blood and all of these different things out there? Well, there's nothing new in it. People have believed uh, because of some medical condition or, or whatever that they are somehow uh, allied to the vampire. Uh, some people going back centuries have drunk blood. Wouldn't be to me, but uh, are bathed in blood to stay yeah, young. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, it's a tricky one. I mean, there are some <laughs> medical conditions uh, that can really cause people to think and believe that they are a vampire. Maybe, maybe there are creatures of the night. Um, I just think if you don't hurt other people and you don't hurt yourselves, um, then <laughs> be who you want to be. But don't, I, don't lose touch with reality. When I was a kid, there was a book out and it was a series. Um, I think I was in first and second grade. The book was about bunnicular. Have you ever heard of this? Where it was a rabbit vampire wow <laughs> i don't know what made me think of that but i'm liking that in britain we had count duckula <laughs> and, and he couldn't drink blood he had to live off tomato juice and tomatoes well bonicula he lived off of um carrots and things he would go and raid people's gardens in the middle of the night yeah I, i'm liking that fun. you see i, I couldn't <laughs> live as a vampire because i love garlic <laughs> it's it's one of the wonderful ingredients in food no, no i couldn't live without garlic no 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 
But, you know, that's a good point. From this, from the stories, how it all evolved, it, it kind of, even from Anne Rice, the story shifts, right? Constantly. Yeah. Um, how do we get from the vampires not able to be around garlic? They're not able to do sunlight, all of these different things. Yeah, I, I, I think that. it's just things over time that was added to the story. Absolutely right. Yeah, Bram was very, very loyal, really, to to the Transylvanian superstitions in his book. They're they're, they're pretty loyally. There's a few little twists in there, but it was it was the films, it's cinema that uh, really do uh, add a lot to the vampire lore. Uh, Bram, of course, has the mirror where you cannot see the reflection of a vampire, for example. That's that's a Bram, and that, that's a folklore, that's a legend. Uh, but other things have, have been uh, stretched for film and dramatic value. But there's nothing wrong in that. Uh, I think having vampires going out in daylight and just saying that they are weakened by daylight, and that is pretty much what they always were. Um, Bram has Dracula seen in London, and it's not night time. Well, at least we don't think so. I wonder if that comes from the idea of the fear embodiment and you can't bring the stuff out into the light sort of thing. Like you can't bring yeah, it absolutely into the light. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, it, it comes from the folklore. Um, these are, you see, the, the difficulty was that the term Nosferatu does mean a creature of the night. It doesn't just mean a vampire. It could be anything that will operate mostly under the cloak of darkness because it looks unusual. So, for example, a werewolf or a zombie or potentially a vampire although a vampire could certainly look just like you and me but they tend to operate by night because they need the stealth and they might shapeshift too <laughs> uh, you know for the the unwary traveler uh to be pounced upon and set upon by the vampire yeah the vampire law will, will always flex and metamorphose but uh Keep well, the story yeah. alive. Keep the story alive and be as go with the flow. Respect, respect Bram's masterpiece, and uh, but keep it alive. Neil, where do people find your book? They can find my book if you're in America on, on Barnes and Noble. You can find uh, Bram Stoker, author of Dracula. Uh, you can find it in Great Britain on Amazon, but also. You know, if you've got a local bookshop, you can order it, or they might even have it on the shelves. In all good bookshops in Britain, America, uh, it, sh it should be out there. It's it's been I'm been really touched by the kind words um, from fellow Dracula fans and 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 Bram Stoker fans, the never-ending support of of Dacre and the Stoker family. They we hold Bram Stoker and his legacy with with great affection you know and and i tell you what if people fancy it we're over i'm over in america in october and we're doing a little tour of new england and salem looking Ooh. at the vampires of old and new england uh, have a look on the mysterious adventures tour oh with website. maria i love that with our beautiful maria and come 
and join us. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> Halloween in Salem. My goodness, I can't wait. A journey of the lifetime. You know, I'm going to be in Boston during that time, too. So perhaps I'll come see you guys. Hey, tomato juice for you and me. <laughs> um, Neil, we're at the bottom of the hour already. Oh, where's it gone? I know it's it's every time I talk to you that happens it just disappears it's like time slips happen it's true it's true <laughs> well I've always got new research going on I've got a new book looking at uh, the history of UFOs over Great Britain mm -hmm. from the early 20th century to the present day so that's some new research some quite intriguing stories to be told there and of course, there's always dark tales of witchcraft and legends and murders and dark deeds. <laughs> if you could put up with me again, I would love to come and share them with you. I will definitely have you back on. Absolutely. Neil, well, where can people your... find you? Real quick, where can people find you? I'm, come and find me. I'm, I'm, I've got my profile on, on Facebook, and that's building up very nicely. Come, come and find me. Come it's and find Neil me. Story, S-T-O-R-E-Y. That's correct. The only one with a big moustache. <laughs> well, Neil, thank you so much for being on again. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure, CL. Good to speak to you, and thank you to everybody for listening tonight. You've been listening to The Gateway, your portal to the unexplained, the mystical, and the otherworldly, broadcasted live from United Public Radio Network, 107.7 New Orleans. Find me online or on social media to find out the latest in books and artwork created by me. You can find me at CL. It's clthomas.org, clthomas.org. Until next time, see you soon. <laughs>